Hello, how are you guys doing? Well, thank you. Jan Ruben, it's so good to see you. So good to see you too. <laughs> I don't know if the ladies remember, but you might remember Jen. She used to work here in outreach and she would sit. Now we have Lisa Moon sitting over here and um, Jen used to sit in Lisa's spot. So <laughs> Jen, you probably can't see Lisa, can you? I can't, no. Yeah. She's there. She doesn't want she doesn't want to be seen on camera. I'm sorry. Okay. okay. I, I believe you that she's there. Okay. <laughs> anyway, we're very thankful for you, Jen. You're such a blessing to us while you were here, and now you're blessing others over there in Spain, and we're thankful for that. And then we have her her son. No, I'm just joking now. <laughs> no, this is that's Ruben, her husband. And the reason I said her son is because he has lost 60 pounds. And so and he also shaved off his mustache. So he looks so young. I don't know what you I know, I know. I look like I'm 17 again. Yeah, you do. You do. I wonder, I don't know if that would work for me if I lost a bunch of at 17 again. But <laughs> let's go ahead and start by getting to know you both. And uh, why don't you tell us, you know, basically, were you raised in a believing home and how you came to know the Lord? first. Um, yeah, I was born into a believing home and uh, went to church all of my life. And um, and I had claimed to be a believer and um, raised my hand, hand many, many times to accept Jesus into my heart. And when I was 11, I got baptized. Um, but it was very obvious that I, and it's obvious now. It wasn't very obvious at that point. It was obvious that I wasn't growing in the Lord and um, not loving the Lord. It was definitely um, living in sin in the years after that. And um, when I was 16 um, my or 15, my family and I moved to a church where the word was being preached faithfully. And um, I think hearing the gospel again and hearing what it is to be um, a true follower of Christ um, made me realize that I needed to ask him for forgiveness. So I thought at that point it was just a, um, uh, I'm giving my life to the Lord again, you know, but I'm not really being saved. Um, but it was very evident from then on that the Lord changed my life. And um, so that was at 15 years old. And when I was um, 23, I think, or something, I, I got baptized again at Grace. Um, it's kind of when I realized, yeah, I really wasn't saved when I got baptized the first time. So um, anyway, yeah, I just I grew up being a little Pharisee, really, <laughs> is what I was. And uh, the Lord saved me at 15. Well, for me, um, yeah, I was raised in a Christian home. Uh, and when I was 16, I made a false profession of faith. Uh, my mom, uh, she loves the Lord. She is a woman that prays, but she's really persistent. So she was, um, I remember during my uh, teen, teenager, teenager years, she was just like pretty much every day, when you need to repent, you're going to hell, you need to embrace Christ, trusting Him. So because that was like, you know, happening every day, I was like, okay, I'm done. Uh, I'm going to just pray and see if my mother actually shuts her mouth. <laughs> 
Um, so I prayed supposedly and I made a profession of faith, but in the end, uh, obviously it was a false profession of faith, but I didn't know that back then. I was 17 um, when I got baptized and after that, uh, I began uh, getting involved in ministry at church and yet uh, in high school and then in college, I was living a double life. Um, Sundays, I was pretty much the holiest angel ever, and uh, the rest of the week, I was just the, the, the most demonic demon possible. Um, so it was just uh, a sad reality, but even, even during that time, I never doubted my salvation, because instead of uh, comparing myself to Scripture and to see what the fruit of the Spirit was, I just compare myself to people. And I had so many friends that also made profession profession of faith, uh, and yet they lived lives that were pretty much like mine. So I thought, well, if they say they believe in Christ and they go to heaven and they are doing the same things that I do, so I'm fine. Um, so eventually, um, my life just got involved in more sinful behavior, and um, when I was, I was, um, I think uh, now it was like. 21, 22, I began living with a girl, and, and obviously that was a pretty sinful life. But at that point, um, I got tired of God, so I even threw away my Bibles, threw away every Christian book that I had, and everything, and yet I did not doubt my salvation. Um, until one night in God's providence, I got, um, through different circumstances, I got an email, and then a, a person... Uh, um, calling me and other things that actually uh, confronted me with my sin. It was the first time that it was asked to me, um, how is it that you say that you are a believer and you live such a sinful life? And it's such a simple question that we as believers now, we will say, um, duh. But at that point, I never thought of that. Um, and for the first time, the Holy Spirit gave me the conviction of sin, that it was a burden that I could not bear. It was just unbearable. Uh, so the only thing I could do was just to, to bow the knee and to repent, which I did. So the same day, in God's grace, um, uh, he opened my eyes and he gave me a heart, a living heart. And I broke up with this girl, I stopped living with, with her and moved out. I went back home, asked for forgiveness to so many people that I hurt, to the church. And after that, the Lord has gave me an uh, unceasing desire to study his word, which Eventually, that's what took me to the States. So pretty much that's the short version. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's great to see how the Lord um, worked in both of your hearts. And, you know, we were just talking in our group today how interesting it is that, you know, something that's so clear to us, you know, because we have the Holy Spirit can be, you know, like something that a non-believer will not understand at all. So it's... That reminds that, sorry. No, go ahead. That reminds me of um, um, that was on Monday. On Monday, we had a, a, a couple of Jehovah Witnesses that came to our home. And it was such a sad, sad conversation because uh, they tried to pull out some scripture, <laughs> obviously out of context and misinterpreted, and some scripture changed. Uh, and yet, you know, I, I've explained those verses to them so many times. I gave them so many, um, so many verses. I tried to prove how the same 
um, attributes that you see of Yahweh in the Old Testament apply to Christ, how Yahweh forgives sins, and Christ also forgives sins, and how Yahweh is infinite, and Christ speaks of his omnipresence, and other, other attributes that prove that Christ was God, and, you know, everything that's, time and again, going back to Scripture, every argument that was uh, in my mind was so clear, it's so <laughs> evident, they cannot deny the evidence. <laughs> And yet they did. They actually, in the middle of the conversation, they were, we're done, and they left. <laughs> they ran away. Thanks for the coffee. We're leaving now. <laughs> like, oh, okay. <laughs> but it's, it's true. It's, it's, it is, I mean, it's the nature of uh, depraved, sinful man without Christ. We are dead in our trespasses and sins, and it's only by God's grace that he opened up our eyes. And he gives us, by the Spirit, a heart that can actually repent and respond to the gospel. So it's just only because God wants, and that's what makes the gospel so precious and beautiful, because we don't deserve it. Yeah, it's a miracle. It really is. Yeah, it is. So um, let's go ahead now, and you guys can tell us how you met. I know we had kind of ended. Ruben, you're in the States because you became a yep. believer, and you came here maybe to, to learn and grow in the Lord. And um, go ahead and tell us how you met. <laughs> Well, uh, um, I came to the States in 2005. I studied uh, my, uh, I guess, my bachelor's in South Carolina. And then after that, I pretty much went to L.A. in 2008 uh, to the master's seminary, to do my MDF and later on the THM. And during my studies, my only goal in mind was just to finish my studies and come back home, come back to Spain and serve the church, serve Christ here. But in that process... Well, I met Jen, and the Lord opened my eyes and closed hers. <laughs> so, um, so we met briefly uh, in California, but ironically, we actually got to spend more time together in Spain when we came, came here in 2009, from June uh, uh, 14th, I believe, to June 27th, for our, for our STM uh, to here Spain. To Leon. To Leon. We, we came to help in Toral, which is where we uh, mostly most of our retreats take place, even the seminary classes take place. Conferences. Conferences. So we came to paint, to fix everything, to do a lot of things. She came, Start a library. She came with Armida Mineros to, to do some library work and other things. So in that process, um, she just caught my eye. I saw that... I understood before, by God's grace, that uh, a beautiful woman is a woman that has a, a quite a humble spirit. And because First Peter three four says there are two things that are beautiful in the sight of God in a woman, and are those two things? So during our trip, what I saw was that every time we had a break, instead of resting like everybody else because we were tired, she just came to us and served us, even for us coffee and other things that are little details. But uh, I was showing off. Yeah, but. <laughs> I actually could see how she has that servant heart, and that servant heart speaks of humility, and that goes back to First Peter 3, 4. So according to God's standard of beauty, which is perfect because God doesn't make a mistake, she was beautiful. So I didn't really know her that much, but it was God says she's beautiful, so I want to get to know her. And I did. So as soon as we um, landed in LAX, I asked for her phone number and we went on a date on July 3rd, a week later, and I told her like, um, I want to get to know you because I want to marry you. And uh, so we're going to wait, <laughs> wait a few months so that your father doesn't have a heart attack. Uh, but uh, that was pretty much the story in December 16th of the same, 
year. Year I proposed her and we married in May uh, 15, 2010. We've been married for uh, five years now, almost six, and it's been uh, it's been a joy and uh, and uh, an undeserved joy for me and a blessing. So. Great. Uh, she's a lovely wife. So, Ruben, you were sure you wanted to marry her before you even started a relationship with her. <laughs> Otherwise, I would have not even started that relationship. He told me, um, well, let's see. Uh, so we went out the first time where he told me that he was interested in me. And the second time we went out, um, he said, OK, I just want you to I just want to make it clear that my desire is to go back to Spain when I'm done with seminary. So if you have no desire to leave the States um, or your family. Oh, God. Um, Sorry, I'm going to get Eden. She's crying so you guys can see her. <laughs> um, then we'll stop our friendship here. So I thought, oh, wow, he, he is very serious, and which I liked. I was very thankful for that. Um, and also for the record, when we came to Spain, I was already pretty much in love with him. So he could have asked me to marry him when we got back to LAX instead of my number. <laughs> and I probably would have said yes. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> wow. I, that's why. Well, well, I say that now. I probably would have freaked out that day. But say hello. Anyway, this is Eden. Hi, Eden. Oh, are you crying? Does she understand English? You guys speaking English to her? Yes, yeah. we do speak English. Sorry. Parent moment yeah, here. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. We understand. All right. So, um, Jan, why don't you tell us what you, not not what you saw in him on the short-term trip, but face. You know, <laughs> now that you've been married for a while, what do you really appreciate about Ruben? Oh, my. Um well, one of the, the first things that I, um, well, maybe not the first things I noticed, but as we were getting to know each other or um, even during the trip was um, um, his biblical convictions and how, um, I mean, even in just very, sorry, Ollie's um, coming to, too. <laughs> um, even in the, in the little things, he was so quick to obey um, the word of God and um, oh, oh. Here, say hello. Say hi, hi. Yeah. Uh, so that um, I thought I, I definitely want to at, at that point date her and then eventually marry a man who had um, strong biblical convictions and who would go to the word um, when making decisions. And um, so I, yeah, I appreciate that. And it's only become stronger and stronger as the years have come by. And um, even, especially even this past year when we've had some, problems at church. It's just like, we have to go back to what the word of God says, no matter the consequences. So, um, it has been a joy to follow him, um, because of that, because I desire to, um, please the Lord. And my husband is leading me to do that. So that is just one of the many things that I appreciate from him about him. Well, that's great. I don't know anyone with such strong biblical convictions as Ruben. And I'm so impressed with the way he studies the word. I'm very serious yeah. about that. I know he takes that very seriously. And that's that's wonderful. Yeah. So, Ruben, you want to tell us about what you love about Jen now that you've gotten to know her through marriage? <laughs> how, how long do we have? <laughs> 
Well, I mean, um, I love many things, but uh, I would say now, uh, recently, um, her role as a mother is, is something I didn't see before, and it's truly, it is amazing. It's, she's, she's such a hard worker. She wants to portray um, God and Christ to her kids. She's so patient, so, <laughs> so loving, and it's just... Uh, it is a joy to see that her maturity and God likeness in in that role as a mother, and uh, so that's that's really impressive and something I didn't obviously didn't see before. So that uh, that that makes me to be even more in love with her. Uh, so I'm really thankful for the wife the Lord has to be given me because truly she's my suitable helper. Um, I love her humility. She's the most humble person I've met. So quick to ask for forgiveness, so quick to learn, so easy to to lead, and uh, she just submits so well, even when often I make so many mistakes in my leadership. It's just it's just a joy. So and she's fun. She's the hottest woman ever. <laughs> so I'm really thankful for her. Well, Only a Spaniard say it was seen, yeah, so don't worry. Sounds like you guys are doing great. I guess we don't have to worry about any marriage counseling or anything. I'll, I'll tell Kevin everything's okay. We also just got back from a marriage retreat, so I think that has really helped. A conference. So a bad. conference. Yeah. Coming down out of the mountain from the from the conference, huh? <laughs> Well, I'm, yeah, I'm so sure. glad. That's such a blessing. <laughs> yeah. So do you want to tell us, um, you know, Ruben is Spanish, everyone, in case you didn't know that. So he's home now. You know, he went back to Spain. That's his home. But Jen um, was raised here in Los Angeles. So uh, maybe, Jen, you could tell us, you know, what was it like for you just to move over to another country? And what were your some of your first impressions of Spain? Well, um, it really, uh, I have loved it from the very beginning. Um, uh, by God's grace, I have spoken Spanish all of my life and the accent is different here. And there's some different words that I had to, um, to kind of retrain myself to, um, to use. Um, but that has been so helpful to be able to adapt and um, Leon is such a, a small, um, cute city that um, we just So smaller than Santa Clarita. Yeah, yes. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> um, it's so clean and safe here. At first, I would walk around. That's another thing. We walk a lot, which is really great. I love that. Um, but I would walk around kind of with my purse a little tight tighter to me like if I was back in LA and obviously I don't let it free anywhere now but obviously still have to be wise but um even walking at night by myself there's a lot of people that walk around and um and it's you just feel so safe and so that has been really nice and um the food is amazing uh I already knew that before coming so I I knew I wasn't gonna have a hard time with that, um, and the the culture, the people are um, especially with me walking around with the kids. They've been so 
helpful and um, sweet. Even teenagers, teenage boys, um, see that Ollie maybe has tripped, and they go and they run and try to help him. And um, uh, one thing that kind of shocked me um, was like people are, are so kind to our kids that they'll um, like once. Thankfully, it only happened one time. Um, they just took Ollie right out of my. Mm-hmm. my arms because <laughs> they wanted to carry him and I was like oh uh where are you going with my child you know I was down in the bakery so thankfully we were in a contained area but um it, it, the, the lady just wanted to hold him and um oh. and uh and they also come you know the things that they tell you about strangers in the states like uh, don't accept any candy or, you know, that, well, strangers come and they give our kids candy and kiss them. And, but it's, um, it's such a sweet way. You see, they're not trying to be malicious or, hopefully. um, hopefully. Yeah. We, we believe that. Um, and a lot of that too, that sweetness and just the, uh, family kind of effect is, um, something I grew up with in the Hispanic culture. So, it, um, it didn't shock me too much. But um, but it did initially like oh yeah wow this doesn't happen in the states very much especially the taking your kids out of your arms thing without asking you for permission. Um, but yeah, I've I've really loved everything, um, everything about Spain so far about Leon really because I've gotten to know Leon a lot more. So. That give you opportunity to um, maybe share the gospel with them, or how do they react when you try to evangelize? Or yeah, I mean, um, they already they see me and they know that I'm not a Spaniard, <laughs> um, so uh, immediately they ask where I'm from. They think I'm from South America or Mexico or something, and I tell them that I'm from LA. And they're like, why would you leave L.A. to come to Leon? <laughs> Such a small little city. There's nothing here. Um, and I immediately, I mean, that's an open door to, well, we're here to serve with um, the Evangelical Church of Leon. And um, they're really shocked. And then they ask, so what's the difference between, uh, they say evangelicalism, the Christianity, and Catholicism? And so we have been asked that question. So many times. Yeah, so, so many times. And it's been a joy to be able to present the gospel to them. And a lot of people just like, oh, wow, well, I'm an atheist. So (laughs) that's great that you believe that. And um, so it's it's been sad in that sense. But but yeah, we've been able to share the gospel a lot. So it's been it's been really great in that sense. Wow, that, that's that's neat. I guess you know what, that goes right back to what we were saying. Only the Lord can change their hearts. Yeah. Ruben, what about for you? You know, you're totally prepared now. You're back in your you know home country. How has it been for you to be back home ministering and serving? Well, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love the states. Uh, I'm an American too, actually. <laughs> so, uh, I, the states. Um, gave me so much uh, my education my wife my first child was born there but regardless of all that all the love that i have for the states i love being here <laughs> so it truly it truly it's uh it's god's grace it is his grace does not apply on to salvation but to ministry we are called to an impossible task which is to to, to, to call people to repent and as we just mentioned before uh dead people don't come to christ by themselves 
Uh, and then, then we're calling believers to grow, and I cannot cause any believer to grow. Uh, so it is an impossible task. It's just by God's grace that we get to do what we do, and it's just uh, a joy that uh, to know that we are investing our lives for eternity. So the the, the need is is huge, is humongous, is just uh, 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 crazy. Um, so there is a lot of work. There's a lot of things to do, but uh, I'm just loving it. It, uh, it truly uh, is a dream come true. So I'm so, so thankful that the Lord has called me to full-time ministry, gave me a perfect wife for ministry, and uh, and has provided for every need. And, and we have the support to actually be in full-time ministry and in Leon in Spain. So it truly is, just, it, it is His grace. I know it sounds like a cliche, but it's so true. It's God's grace. Well, you know, I was—I have a question. Um, are there a lot of other evangelical churches there in Spain? Because, you know, since Lyon is such a small city, it almost seems strange that that's where you are. Do you know what I'm saying? Because a lot of times here in the States, like where we are, Grace Community Church, we're in Los Angeles because there's so many people. It's such a large church. Are there other churches in other cities? or? Yeah, there. like overall... Um, there are uh, like 2,300 churches in the entire in all the, con- the entire country, uh, but out of those 2,300 churches, uh, you know you have Pentecostals, Charismatic, and uh, even Adventist, uh, which is not orthodoxy. <laughs> um, so if you limit the number to more or less conservative churches, is around 800 churches. Uh, for the entire country, and so that's a hundred churches for fifty million people, more or less. Uh, I was checking the numbers in the states, and in the states you have over like hundred fifty thousand Christian churches. We know that not all those churches are like um, mature, godly churches, or even a church in itself, because they don't have a godly leadership and they don't preach. The word is not central. But it's hundred fifty thousand churches <laughs> against eight hundred. So that gives you an idea of the need. Uh, so that means that um, I was I was just thinking uh, the numbers and it's like zero point two people are supposed to be believers. Uh, and on top of that, we know that not everybody who claims to be a believer is a believer. So that number is going to be even smaller. And I guess since you all not only have a church there, but you're starting a training center, you really need a church that's a model of, you know, evangelical Christianity from the Bible. And so your church is a good model. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your church, about, you know, who is there, you know, who is the pastor and just how many people attend? Is it an international church or is it mainly Spaniards? Yeah. Get the kids down. Yeah. Really quick. Well, um, the church uh, overall is like right now is maybe 120, 130 people, uh, which for Spain is a pretty big church. Uh, we were actually a larger group, but we're almost 160, 180 sometimes. But we pretty much went through a church division uh, last year. So um, I don't want to get into all, de- all the details, but it's, it was a really rough year. <laughs> That's one of the reasons why I lost some weight. Um, but um, there, there, was, there, there was a lot of opposition. And usually um, that's always going to happen. It's going to happen because people have this idea that they can somehow remain impartial 
or neutral to the scripture. Okay, I'm not going to embrace that truth, but I'm neither going to reject it. And such a thing is, is, is false. You either accept the truth of God or you reject the truth of God. So we had people at our church that did not move forward. And that didn't mean that they were not moving at all. It actually meant they were moving backwards. And eventually uh, they got tired of so much truth. And, and because they were rejecting the truth so much and for so long, they just opposed the leadership, they opposed us, they, well, it was an ugly situation, uh, and they left with uh, much pain and regret, and it was a difficult time, but, um, I mean, in God's providence, it was perfect because it had to happen. Whatever happens is God's will, and uh, that's always a, a wonderful truth to uh, rely upon it. Because um, otherwise we would have been we would have been caught up in the idea of like we maybe made a mistake we said something we didn't or whatever but um, in God's providence Jesus who is building his church he had that happen for a reason uh, and whatever it happens to his children it's always for our own good which is to become more like Christ so he's making our little church more like Christ through this uh, painful process and we're thankful for that. But because of that, now it's like maybe 120 people, um, mostly Spaniards. But we have people from Romania, from Africa, from uh, South America, uh, from a lot of different countries. Um, so it is it is a neat um, spiritual family. And the variety of uh, cultures is, is actually neat. And um, they love the, the Lord. Uh, they want to grow. It is, it is such a... A privilege and joy to preach to these people because you see they are just devouring you they want to know more they want to know scripture they want to uh, grow in their spiritual walk with the Lord they want to know as, as, as these two guys come to the disciples like uh, saying like show us Christ they want to see Jesus and it's just uh, it's, it's, it's a privilege to preach uh, scripture to people that are hunger for it and um, so uh, now it is, it's wonderful to be at church and we love every service, uh, and we love being there and, and the leadership, um, they're doing a wonderful job. The elders, we have three elders, um, which is David Robles or David Robles, uh, that I'm sure you know of him or him personally, uh, Saul, an older man and Manuel Corral. Saul, he's 93 years old. And his mind is so fresh and so, so ready. And he, um, he's an example because through this uh, church division, uh, two of his daughters were in the midst of that and they were causing the problems. And, and he said, I need to obey God before uh, um, satisfying my family. Uh, and it's an example of uh, 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 committing to what God has established for his church. Uh, so I, I just pray and I wish that when I get to that age, uh, my convictions are that solid that I'm willing to, if necessary, to sacrifice my family for the sake of Christ. Um, and Manuel Corral also is an example of humility. Uh, he was an example of humility in that process. And David or David Robles, and uh, uh, he just fought for the truth and so we all got some punches in the face, uh, fig figuratively. Figuratively. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, but it, this this man protected us, uh, so they took the punches for us. 
Um, and that made uh, the whole process easier for us and harder for them. And they are the kind of leaders that will follow anywhere. So because they are biblical men, they're biblical leaders according to First Timothy 3 and Titus 1. And they are the leader, leaders that God has raised for his church here in Leon. And they want to honor Christ, glorify God, edify the believer, evangelize the lost, and preach the scripture. So mm-hmm. we don't need anything else. We just need the scripture. So that's mm-hmm. what we're trying to model. We're, we're not the perfect church. Mm-hmm. We are back with sinners. And when you have sinners, you have problems. And um, But we want to be an example in that, as Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. So that's what we're trying to do. Um, I just wanted to ask you to, you know, I was reading your prayer letters just in preparation for the Skype. And it seems like you are going to a conference almost every month in a different part of Spain just to teach, you know, God's word on the family or on marriage or on something else. Could you just just share a little bit about that? And um, why does everyone want you to come? Uh, Because... um I don't know. <laughs> I guess, like, why me? I mean, there are so many good preachers out there. But, uh, um, it, yeah, I, I got invitations, and I keep getting them to just go and preach. So we try to go as much as possible, even though the priority is the local church and the seminary. Uh, so then if we have extra time or an extra weekend, then we try to, to go to this, these places. And um, mainly it is... We do it because we want to influence as many churches as possible. That's why we have the seminary. But even through these uh, events, we want to expose people to expository preaching. To we, everybody. I mean, there's there's kind of like a long tradition of evangelicals in Spain, sort of speak. But um, even though they have this like the brother movement, it's been here for a couple of centuries, and they. Um, they, they they were famous back then for their centrality in, on scripture, and now it's just tradition. So you have a lot of believers that become from that denomination, uh, but their knowledge of scripture is so shallow that they have no convictions. They are not rooted in anything. Uh, so they are they are eating up everything the culture says. They are believing. They believe the psychologists the answer to your sanctification. So in order for you to grow and fix your marriage, you don't need the truth of God and and the sufficiency of Christ and the power of the Spirit. You just need a psychiatrist who doesn't know God. Uh, So it is, it's just... Or it gives you some verses. So it's just a sad thing. So we go to these places because uh, we want them to see what true uh, preaching is. And we just explain the original meaning of the text and we apply that to the modern audience. And... For them, it's eye-opening, not, not because we are Spurgeon or uh, Lloyd-Jones, which we're not. I wish I could be, <laughs> I could preach like Spurgeon, <laughs> but I never get there. I know that's not my role. God hasn't <laughs> called me to be Spurgeon, and I'm glad, um, but because they see the meaning of the text, and they see true believers are hungry for that, and there are, there are always true believers to any church, uh, um, so it's, they just love to hear scripture. And so we go, we preach, and, and that's the response that I get. I remember the, in November, I was preaching at a church uh, uh, seven times during five days. Um, no, three, four days. Four days, seven times. And um, I just kept going on, and my sermons were like over an hour. And 
I mean, I got excited, uh, <laughs> like now. <laughs> so <laughs> anyway, and, uh, and a, a younger lady, she was complaining, oh, he preaches too long. And an uh, older lady, she was like maybe, what, 65, 60? Yeah. Yeah, 65, 60. That's young. Yeah, yeah. What I meant is not, is not as a young lady <laughs> as the, the other one. Uh, a mature uh, woman <laughs> yeah. yeah she was like oh i just could have sat here all afternoon listen to him and another man he was 80 years old and he was he told me after that uh service was like i almost did not come but uh i realized like okay i'm gonna go or i thought i'm gonna go and he was like my wife dies um a few yeah. months um, back and I'm depressed. I'm just struggling with that. And I've been married to her for over 50 years. I really love her. So I didn't want to come, but I came. And man, I'm going home in courage. And he was like, you preach the word and that's what I needed. I'm, I'm blessed. Uh, so you hear those things like older people. And, um, and that is like why we do it. And I preach everything. Like I'm not just going with like, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for you. <laughs> I actually, uh, mainly my, uh, most of my sermons are on sin uh, <laughs> because that's, that's one of the, one of the issues. Uh, we, um, we are, I guess, um, the word I'm looking for is more like uh, um, a marvelous or... Nice. No, no. The, the, well, anyway, we are, we, we permit sin in our life. Oh, um so, and we, we as believers, we know that uh, uh, God does not bless us when we sin. Uh, there's always grace and we can repent and he forgives us and restores the relationship and his forgiveness is complete in Christ and all that. And yet we're permissive. That was a word. Permissive with sin. Uh, so when they are confronted, and mainly I, I, I used uh, often the passage of Acts 5 with Ananias and Sapphira, because it's such a powerful passage. When you see how God dealt with sin in the early church, that um, it should scare us to realize that just a lie and they drop dead. And, 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 but it's so interesting in that passage how um, after, uh, I'm, I'm not going to preach. I'm not gonna preach. <laughs> Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's so interesting how after the story you see how the church grew. Like, most people will think if we start confronting sin and confronting people with the sin, they're gonna leave the church. But the, the result was the opposite the church grew because you have mature believers who want to conform to the likeness of Christ and who want to submit to scripture and want to walk in holiness. And that's what's gonna make an impact, that's what, what's gonna adorn the gospel using the language of Paul and Titus, too. So um, yeah, it's just, um, it's wonderful. And you also often when I go to these places, um, I have like, um, I guess like, a, um, seminar on hermeneutics for the pastors, pastors. So, um, last, last time in the South, um, like 20 pastors came from five different churches and it's just like, I mean, there's so little you can do and it's not enough time, but Mainly what I do is just uh, I prove to them and I try to show them from the scripture that the scripture is inspired. And they, because every, every believer will say, yeah, scripture is inspired. It's a God breath um, or breath. 
Um, but then they would say, oh, there's a problem in your life, uh, in your marriage, go to some, somebody else or somewhere else, but not to scripture. So I tried to explain to them that uh, the, the connection between inspiration uh, or inspiration actually leads to inerrancy. If, if the scripture is God's uh, breath, that means it cannot contain any error. Uh, so there is no error in it. And so it's, if it's inerrant, that's, then it's infallible. That means that it cannot lead you to error. And if it cannot lead to you to error, in everything that it teaches and says is sufficient. You don't need anything else. And, and then, in that case, then it's the final authority. When there is another second authority fighting scripture, scripture always wins. Um, so if you question the authority of the scripture here and you say scripture is not sufficient to, to sanctify you in this area in your life, what you're saying that then it's not sufficient for that issue. If it's not sufficient for that is, issue, it's because it could lead you to err. If it leads you to err, err, it's because it contains errors. And if it contains errors, then it's not inspired by God. We don't have scripture at all. I, that is true. We totally believe that. And um, thank you for sharing that. We only have five minutes left. Oh. <laughs> I'm sorry. I wish you were here and we had more time and, you know, you could tell us, you know, or even teach us something, but it <laughs> is, you're a great teacher. And I, I'm so thankful that, you know, you have that Berea seminary where you're training young men to be just as adamant about the sufficiency of scripture as you are so that they can go out and teach as well because you are very busy, it sounds like. And what a blessing to have all those opportunities. But um, could you share some prayer requests with us and then we can pray for you guys? Well, well, you have some. Uh, sure, yeah. Um, I don't know if we mentioned this, but I'm pregnant. <laughs> And we found out today, 11 weeks along, so if we can please um, be praying for um, the pregnancy. And by God's grace, I feel really well. And um, so it's nice to be able to care for our other two kids. And so um, just that we would um, continually have the perspective that God is in control of this baby's life. Uh, just today we found out that Ruben's, one of Ruben's cousins had um, a baby last night. He was born um, not breathing and with um, some brain damage, and he may not make it. So just a couple minutes before being born, he was totally fine. Um, and then he was born, uh, he just didn't, wasn't breathing. And there were just a little bit of complications during the de delivery. So um, the Lord could take the baby away now at 11 weeks, or if it's his will, or at 40 and so, um, or not. So, um, just that, especially I would have that mindset that, um, that the Lord is good no matter what. And, um, that we will trust in, in him completely, um, throughout the pregnancy. And, um, also just in, for me that I would, um, be, a um, a a better help for helper for Ruben with all the things that he has to do. And, um, and that would be a good example of being a mother who loves to stay at home. Um, cause that's not very common here. And, um, but uh, they would see that I want to do it because I want to please God and love our children. So, um, and then I would do it humbly. <laughs> so yeah, those are my requests. Thank you. Well, 
I would say for I mean for me and for us as a family, the salvation for kids. Um, that's a huge burden. Um, I want them to 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 to, to know Christ. Uh, so the salvation for our kids, the ministry, it is we're busy, but it's good busy. We love it. Uh, but again, as I was saying before, it's it's, it's an impossible task because uh, we're called to do things that we can't in our own. So we need prayer. We need the power of the Spirit. We need the Scripture. We need God um, acting and working, and He does. Um, then even our support that the Lord would provide, keep providing for us so we don't have to to leave or we don't even uh, have to just go back to the States to raise more support because uh, the ministry is just, it keeps going. So, <laughs> And then the seminary, obviously, um, it is a lot of work, uh, but it's, it's a blessing to serve this man. Uh, most of our students are leaders, uh, elders, or are working towards that direction. So uh, it is, it is it's, it's, it's a good network to influence churches around the country. And we are seeing that, that already and the fruit out of that and the opposition that also that brings. Um, so, yeah, mainly I would say those things. Lord, thank you so much for Jen and Ruben. Thank you so much for their service to you there, Lord. Thank you so much for your goodness, just in working in their hearts and minds and giving them that desire to serve you over there in Spain. And Lord, we just pray that you'd have your hand on Jen. We pray that you would keep both she and the baby healthy during this pregnancy, if it might be your will. And please help her to continue to be a good helper for Ruben and to also be an encouragement and a, um, help to him as he's so busy and just serving in the church and in the seminary also, Lord. We pray for little Ollie and Eden. We pray that they might come to know you, Lord, and for this new baby as well, that they might also serve you someday and just honor you in all things. And Lord, we pray for Ruben's cousin who had the baby who is who is not breathing and now having difficulties. And we just pray, Lord, if they don't know you, that you would help them to come to know you through this. And we pray for that little one, Lord. We pray whatever your will would be, Lord. But if the baby could be healthy, we pray that you would allow that. And um, we just pray that you would give grace and show them your love in this difficult time. And Lord, we pray for the men in the seminary. We pray that they would love you and love your word and honor you in all things and that they would be a light there to that um, to Spain and that they would be such a help there, Lord, and great servants of yours. We pray for the church. We thank you for their desire to honor you and just to go through the difficult time that they went through so that they could obey your word, Lord. And um, we thank you for those leaders, the older men who were so firm just in their desire to obey you, even to lose their family, Lord. We pray that we might be like them and honor you and love love you and, and love others, but also be able to take a stand for your, your glory and your word. And we just pray also for wisdom for Ruben as he's teaching and um, he's a father and a, a husband and he's also uh, a seminary professor. We just pray that you'd give him wisdom Help him to serve you and to be a blessing to those he ministers to and to have love for them, Lord, we pray. And we just pray that if it might be your will, you would continue to provide for them so that they wouldn't have to leave their ministry there, Lord, we pray. In your name, amen.
Thank you. Well, thank you so much. It was so wonderful talking to you. It seems so short. It was wonderful what you were saying. It's just, I always have to watch the clock. That's the, yeah, yeah, I know. I know. So we look forward to seeing you this summer when you come back for the conference. Well, Lord willing. Lord willing. Lord willing. <laughs> there's going to be a conflict with the due date. So. Yeah. Oh, no. Well, whenever we see you next, well, it will be well, too far yes. away. I'd be there yes, for Shepherd's Conference. And I just wanted to um, say thank you for the cards that we get from Mindset. It's yeah. so sweet now to be on this side. Oh, you got me emotional, Jill. <laughs> <laughs> She's pregnant. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's so great to be on, on this side and to receive those cards and to um, see that our kids get um, remembered in a sense for their birthdays and even our anniversary. And well, thank you so much. It's yeah. just, it's very sweet and a blessing to us. Thank you. Oh, well, thank you guys. We love you guys. And we'll be thinking of you and praying for you and um, pray the Lord will bless you in your ministry. Thank you. Thank you thank so you. much. Thank Have you a good to everyone. Day. You too. Bye-bye. 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 <laughs>